In this series, we've been working on how people define mental health. And I have been working my way through different theories and different beliefs. And on our last podcast, we were talking about the first theory of the list of transgenerational theories, uh, that being intergenerational by Boeing. And this week, we're going to kind of focus in on another theory under the umbrella of transgenerational theories, and that's contextual. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. All right, welcome back. So on our last podcast, we were discussing intergenerational theory by Bowen, and we kind of summarized what that theory and those who practice that type of therapy, excuse me, believe that health is and how they define the problem, how they see change. And so today we're going to kind of continue on through that and we're going to talk about a new theory under the umbrella of transgenerational theory and that is contextual. So I just want to briefly thank you for listening and I hope you're kind of enjoying the content that we've been having. So I'm sitting in my office currently uh, in Minnesota, if you happen to be listening to this from a different state, uh, it's like 40 degrees outside. You know, the trees are losing their leaves. So it's kind of beautiful, but it's also kind of cold. And I just got back from the eye doctor, and I don't know how many folks listening have had their eyes dilated. It seems like a pretty common thing, but, you know, just some, just because it's common for me doesn't mean it's common for everybody else. And, um, you know, they put those eye drops in your eyes, and your eyes, like, swell I feel like they swell up. I don't think that's what's actually happened, but your, your, your pupils get big or something like that. And then, you know, for hours afterwards, everything's kind of fuzzy. And so it's just an interesting time to be trying to look at a screen and, you know, do a podcast. So when I, when I was coming back from the eye doctor, you know, they give you those, like, that insert to put in your glasses, you know, and uh, it's like jet black and it kind of helps you be able to see to drive. So I happened to accidentally turn on the news and I know I've shared it on at least one podcast that I'm maybe like a new type of person, a new type of generation that's kind of going back to the mentality of too much information can be harmful when it comes to like social media and the news. And we're being inundated with bad negative news and negative information constantly through social media and through the news. And so I personally have decided just to get off social media. And I I did this like four years ago, so it's not recent. So with that being said, I'm not used to being just kind of rolled over with all the headlines and everything going on in the world. And so I'm listening to the news and I'm hearing all about the pandemic and all the different almost seemingly contradictory news on the vaccines. And I couldn't help but think at the time, and this is one reason why, like I said, I've kind of 
decided not to do this or be participating in the news and social media is that the world just seems like a very unfair place. And I remember thinking that, man, the world is such an unfair place. And that kind of ties in with the system that we're going to talk about today. So contextual therapy, that's kind of how they saw the family, that the family had its own like ethical system. And within that system, they kind of kept track of who owed what and who was owed what. And it determined trustworthiness, fairness, and loyalty. And that these things were important to a family and they passed on through the generations. So when we think of contextual, I always like to think of the legal system. My grandfather was a a circuit court judge in the state of Illinois. And so growing up in that, I heard a lot of stories about the law and about what is just and right and what is fair and what is not fair. And what's kind of interesting about this is that the main proponent of this system um, was the son of a judge. And so in this system, you're going to see a lot of terms that seem like legal terms, which makes sense because of the perception of the person who developed this theory. So there's things like legacy and ledgers and balance, loyalty. These are just some of the terms that are involved in this system. And so this system sees the problem that causes issues with mental health as like historical emotional legacy. That is a legacy that has been passed on historically down the line and that there's somewhere in there, there's some issues. And they see then that exoneration is the way to change and to heal. So kind of what that looks like is that you kind of inherit this like legacy from your parents. Um, you, you kind of take in what they see as right or wrong or good or bad, and it becomes kind of built into your subconscious how you see those things as well. They're kind of invisible. They're hidden, right? We don't necessarily see them, but we, we kind of just know what's right and what's wrong, right? We, we look at something, we say, oh, that's unjust, and oh, that's just, that's okay. Uh, whereas you put somebody else in a room and, and they look at something and go, mm, you know, I don't really think that's that bad. I don't really think that's that bad. Uh, whereas to you, it might be horrific, like the worst possible thing in the world, but to them, it's not so bad. And that's kind of what I mean by invisible. And so what happens is this passes on down the line. There can obviously be problems with that. So one of the problems with that is when we see like a debt. So that's where we kind of miss out on something or feel like we were owed something in that. We try to have that debt repaid through the next generation. And so I've always found this to be an interesting therapy. I've never actually seen it practice in person other than I've conceptualized that in a therapy session, somebody is using it as a understanding and the questioning they ask. This theory would be very focused on past historical attributes of the family. It would be very interested in what the client defines as just and unjust and how they kind of see the dynamic in their family. The therapist that practices the system is going to be very much for everyone, kind of like a win-win for everyone. They're not going to pick one side over the other. 
And they're not going to be like completely distance or what they call in the therapy world neutral, meaning that they don't really take any sides. They're just kind of watching what's going on. This therapist is going to want everybody to feel like the therapist is on their side, that the therapist understands what they see as their emotional legacy and what their position is in the family. And the therapist is going to want kind of a win-win for everybody to kind of balance out that ledger. Because honestly, you cannot get most of the time what you want from the past generations. So for example, my father is deceased. So anything that would come about that I would like to address with him, I just physically can't because he's no longer living. And so what can happen is, is that all that ethical, maybe ethical violations, what I saw as unjust in my childhood, uh, perpetrated by my father, I cannot resolve that with him. And so what the temptation might be then is that I try to resolve that with my children. And when I think of this system, I think about it in a more practical sense sometimes. So when I'm thinking through kind of how a contextual therapist might view a client and a family, I think about my own life. And as a, as a parent, as a father of a three-year-old and four-year-old, I oftentimes struggle with how I envision fatherhood. And that comes from several different things. First thing it comes from is that my father was a very harsh man with me, abusive, sometimes neglectful. And so when I see that, I'm afraid then of how I will relate to my children and kind of what I see as the father figure and how they're supposed to act and how they're supposed to behave. And if I'm not careful, I might pass along to my children this emotional legacy that I received from my father who received it from his father. And when thinking through it, I oftentimes feel that there's so many different pieces to that as I think through my life of how I measure myself, how I feel like certain things maybe need to be rectified and that they can't be rectified. So then I have to find a solution in and of myself or maybe through the help of others in order to address those things. And in a sense, I have to kind of forgive the past. Because I cannot get from them a payment for whatever debt might be owed. I can't do it because they're not alive. And so, in a sense, I have to forgive the past debt. And when I think of this, I, I oftentimes think of, of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, especially when talking about the Jewish people, there's a lot of like legality about debt. Which is very interesting when you... Think about today's society where debt is king. Uh, I love that. Debt is king. You know, everybody has debt. <laughs> the goal in this society is not to have so much debt that you're in trouble, but we literally barter in debt. And this clearly was an issue in the Old Testament back in the day with the Jewish people. And there was certain ways that debt could be paid for. And when I, I think about debt... And I think about the crushing weight that debt can have. Because really, debt minimizes what you can do as an individual. Because you're responsible to that debt. 
And back in the Old Testament, there was a way of forgiving debt to free a person. And I've always found that to be very, very interesting because debt is enslaving in a way. It keeps you from maybe utilizing the fullness of your life because you have this crushing responsibility. And that's kind of what we're thinking of here, but we're thinking of emotional debt, this crushing emotional debt that unfortunately cannot be paid. And so therefore the debt seems to just accumulate and pass down, gets bigger and bigger and it just keeps getting down and down and it weighs each generation in a way more heavy than the generation before. And so the sense here is finding a way to forgive that debt, to forgive those who have passed it along and to balance out your ledger. And like I said, I just think that's a very cool way of understanding uh, the family. But it's also a very complex of seeing the family, you know, and switching kind of gears here to kind of how would a therapist then see that everything has been or is better, how everything is better or different or how things have changed. And they kind of see that there's closure for this historical legacy. And that now there'll be a, a positivity that's passed on. And so going back to my father and his emotional legacy. So again, think of emotional legacy as the strengths and the problems that one generation passes down to the next generation. And so earlier I had talked about addiction as one of the failings or problems that were in the generations before me. And that passed on down through me as well. And that was my legacy. And it was a legacy that I never thought I would ever escape, that I would always be an addict, that I was always given to my addiction, and that there was no other way to live or to understand. And there was a lot of anger and resentment towards my father because I felt like it was his irresponsibility and his addiction that led to my addiction. And yet there was nothing I could do about it. There was nothing I could say about it because my dad had died when I was younger. And I'll never forget when the realization came to me that I was going to have my first child. And I had waited years before I'd even considered having children because deep down inside there was this fear, this overwhelming fear that I would somehow injure that person that would be born from me. Now, at the time, I wasn't in you know, in therapy, I didn't have any fancy terms. I hadn't done any training. And so I didn't quite know how to describe it. But deep down inside, it was there. And I knew it was there, but I couldn't necessarily put it into words. Now, looking back, I can put it into, into better description for you, is that there was a fear of what I was going to pass along to this newborn child. A child that didn't have a choice. Just like I didn't have a choice. And there was a lot of fear there. And I'll never forget sitting, thinking about this, thinking about what kind of father I was going to make, what kind of dad I was going to be, and knowing deep down inside that because I was full born into my addiction, that I was going to somehow pass that along, that I was going to somehow fail this child that wasn't even born yet, like I had been failed. And so luckily for me, that was a very powerful motivator. You know, in the world of addiction, you always hear that people have to hit some kind of rock bottom 
before they're willing to change. And kind of where that comes from is that nobody can force you to change. Nobody can tell you to stop using your drug of choice. I mean, they can, but until you yourself make that desire in your heart to change, you will not change. You might change temporarily. You might put on the facade of change, but deep change will not occur until you are ready to change, until you have a desire to change. And oftentimes that comes when a person has gone to the very bottom of life, right? They have burned all their bridges. They have come to a place where there is no hope. And oftentimes that's when hope comes. And that's when healing comes because they have made a desire that I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be in this situation anymore. I want to change. I don't know how to change. I don't know if I can change, but I want to change, right? And so for me, that was that time. That was my rock bottom. Now, I wasn't in a dumpster someplace living, eating food out of a dumpster, living outside. You know, I wasn't in the the federal penitentiary someplace. I was simply in my house, in my apartment, actually, in Alaska, understanding this child was coming and feeling that, really diving in and feeling that fear for what it was. Allowing myself to experience those emotions and deciding that, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be in this boat anymore. I don't want this to continue to happen. I don't want to pass this along. Right? I do not want my legacy to my children to be the legacy that was left to me. Nor do I want them to live out the opposite of what I wanted either. Like I didn't want them to somehow become the way I dealt with my problems. And that does happen. People use their children to deal with their problems. And that's what would be considered unhealth. And not just this mental health theory, but many mental health theories. It's like one of the similar common themes throughout is that when people are not dealing with their problems, but instead are utilizing children to avoid problems or to push down their problems right? That's considered unhealthy. And so that's where I was. And luckily for me, it it didn't happen right then. But the thought had been sown and the desire had been laid that I did not want to live like that anymore. And so that's when I finally sought the help that I needed. And that would take me (laughs) from Alaska back to Minnesota. I mean, that's that's a long journey in order to get that help. But I did. And, it, and I was changed. And that change led me, and I said I was changed as if it was something that happened supernaturally. And I often believe it's both. So I come from the school of thought that there is a higher power involved and there's work that I had to do. So it was both. But the healing came about. And because of that, I decided to go into therapy, go into mental health, so that I could give back such a blessed gift that was given to me. So again, thank you for taking time to listen to my podcast. If you like my content, go ahead and do whatever it is that people do. Uh, Like I said, I don't have social media. Last time I had Facebook, um, I think there was a like button. That's about it. Now there's like video things you can watch and all kinds of things. So whatever it is that people do to like and share, go ahead and like my stuff, share it. 
um, especially if you live in these small rural communities in which I, I currently live. Uh, it can always be a blessing and help for others to kind of get an idea what they're getting into um, so that they can understand that there is help, it is available, and it may be not as scary as they think. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health And we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated. And maybe you are, but you're not alone.